0: It's going to be really hard to be perfect in front of people without editing and without filters for four days. So get used to, if you are someone who's really edited, letting you out. You are enough exactly as you
1: are. That's why you were made here on earth. Welcome to She Leads First, a podcast for female entrepreneurs who are ready to build a brand that will become a revenue generating machine. Hey guys, I'm Emily Sincada, a brand and business strategist with years of experience in both marketing and online product development. Each week, myself and my guests are going to share our own experiences and knowledge with you so that you can figure out exactly what about your brand is going to keep people coming back for more. You'll leave this podcast equipped with the confidence to tackle those big goals that are going to scale the impact of your brand and your bank account. It's time for you to embody that CEO energy and start leading first. After all, you're building more than just a business. You are building a movement. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the show. I have a very special guest for you guys today. Not only is she a very good friend of mine, but she is a former coworker of mine as well. She's a serial entrepreneur herself. And most recently, she was my event planner for the very first event of mine that I just hosted in Scottsdale, Arizona, a three-day mastermind event and retreat for entrepreneurs. Dakota has over 10 years of experience in the event planning industry. She officially started her career as a wedding planner where she managed over half a million dollar budget in events she quickly realized though that something was missing in that career the whole reason she wanted to get into event planning in the first place was to make people's dreams come true almost like their own fairy godmother but things were just not flowing and the pieces weren't falling into place in the wedding industry with uncertainty and no plan for her next steps in life she knew that in her heart there had to be something more So doing as she says what any rational person would do, she packed her bags and moved from Massachusetts to Los Angeles with only $3,000 in her bank account. Call it good luck, or as she likes to call it, fate, Dakota ended up working for a multi-million dollar entrepreneurial couple as their private event planner. This, you guys, is where Dakota and I actually met. We both worked for the same couple. And with this new and exciting opportunity, she was able to dive headfirst into spirituality, self-development, and the inner workings of entrepreneurship. Fast forward to 2021, Dakota realized how many entrepreneurs out there had dreams of running their own events, but they were never executed because they had no idea where to even start. And this is what we're going to get in um, today's episode. So blending her grounded, bubbly personality with her love for the art of negotiating, spoiler alert, she's really good at it, Dakota feels joy helping people dream even bigger. Today, she helps entrepreneurs plan anything from small one-day events all the way to massive 600 plus person events she believes that there is no detail too small and no dream too big so let's get to event planning you guys you're gonna love this episode whether you already know that you want to plan your first or an in-person event or you're just getting into the idea of it just considering it or maybe you just want to learn about it all together we're gonna dive in in this episode all about how to plan your first event let's dive in Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of She Leads First. I have a very exciting guest on with me today, Miss Dakota Wallace. Dakota, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you for having me, Emily. Of course. I'm so excited for us to get to sit down and have this conversation today. You guys, if you don't know Dakota, I've been sharing her nonstop on my stories because we have been and just finished planning and then running my first ever event in person in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was the Momentum Mastermind live event and retreat. It was a two and a half day event that we just ran together in Scottsdale, in Arizona. And it was such a good experience. So much of it was because I had Miss Dakota on as my event planner. And not only do Dakota and I know each other from planning this event, but we go way back. So we used to work together. We have been friends for a long time. We've planned and run a lot of events together, or I should say she does the planning and I helped her run these events. So as we were at the event, something that came up so much with the women was they might want to run their own events someday. And they wanted to know what does it look like to get that process started? What does it look like to plan and execute your first event? And so we thought this was a great time to have a conversation and open that all up and share some of Dakota's wisdom around how do we do this? How do we get into event planning for our own businesses? So Dakota... I would love for you to tell people, how did you get into this industry? How did you get into event planning for entrepreneurs? What did the journey look like to now? So I always like
0: to say, long story long, I wanted to do it ever since I was a kid. I'm an Enneagram too. Making people happy is like my bread and brother. I love it. It makes me so excited. And so I was in high school and I, everyone was like, go to college. And I was like, great, I'll be a chef, right? Like what else makes people happy besides food? And then my guidance counselor sat me down and she's like, you know, there's something called event planning. Right. And I was like, tell me more. Like the wedding planner with Jayla was my favorite movie. <laughs> I was like, I want to fix people's dress with a, like a little bobby pin. Like this is real. And so I found a college and I went there and they had a hospitality and event planning major. And I was like, I love this. And then I got this coveted job as a wedding planner. And I was like, I don't love this. And it wasn't (laughs) that I didn't love helping brides and grooms on their most special day of their life. But the wedding industry is all about upselling people. It's all about the highest dollar amount that you can make. So the most logical thing I could think of was packing up my Honda Accord and driving all the way across the country from the East Coast to the West Coast and becoming an executive slash personal assistant. And I was like, that makes sense. Let's do that. <laughs> and then three months into that job, I sat down with my boss and I was like, um, you and your wife make all of your money through events and I happen to be an event planner. So you should really stop having me be an executive assistant because I'm very bad at that. And you should allow me to become your full-time event planner. And he was like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. And so that took me three years. And then after that, I was like, let's get out of events again. And I was like, I'm going to start a tea company. And three months after leaving my job for a tea company, everyone was like, but you plan events, right? Like we can hire you. And I was like, Yeah, 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 yeah. And then my company kind of just grew word of mouth. It was never something that I was like, oh my God, I want to be the best event planner. I wanna do these things. I just know that people have these huge dreams, these goals in their inside of themselves, in their souls, and they just want to help as many people as they can, but they stop themselves because it seems scary, it seems overwhelming, they don't know the how. And I was like, I know the how, why don't we team up and I become your new bestie for the six months, the nine months, however long it takes to plan it. And let's bring this
1: dream into a reality because it doesn't have to be that hard. That's amazing. I So first off, I no judgment for leaving weddings and wedding planning. I can only imagine how stressful that can be. And I've had a few women on the podcast so far that have pivoted out of <laughs> that industry. So I think you are heard and felt there. Yeah. But you guys, when your business can grow, and I just want to kind of brag on you for a second, Dakota, but when you don't have to put hard marketing into what you do, when word of mouth is how your business grows, and I know that you've grown over a six-figure business just from word of mouth of people seeing how good your event was or hearing how good your event was and wanting to hire you from it, that's how you know you're good at your job. So take a little pat on your back, Dakota, because that means you are doing something right. Not that you needed my validation. But no, it's really important to get because
0: I feel like I continuously. All of us, I think imposter syndrome, no matter if it's something we can do in our sleep or if it's something that we've worked really, really hard to master, there's days we wake up and we're like, who am I to be doing this for other people? So it's always good to hear that. And like Emily said, I have no social media, no website. I have nothing. It's literally word of mouth. So don't let those boundaries get in the way of fulfilling your dreams. Get out there and just talk loudly and proudly about what you can do for others and show people.
1: And podcast done. <laughs> I feel like that's all we need to share with people. <laughs> Go be loud and proud. Yeah. The end. Just kidding, you guys. We have so much left to say. But you said something in there that you're an Enneagram too. What does that mean if somebody isn't familiar with Enneagrams?
0: So such a great question. I'm still learning what it means to be this too, but it means I get my validation from serving other people. So mm. I can foresee people's needs before they even sometimes know what their need is and that makes me feel warm and cozy and like I am just like I've fulfilled my whole life purpose when like I'm like oh that person needs water that person needs a tissue that person needs a hug and where does that play out really really well. In event planning mm-hmm, where okay. I know inevitably things will go wrong. We can plan as long as we want, but we have to have a plan B, C, D, and E. And I have to be able to see that something is going downhill and then rectify it before anyone else knows that things are not going according to plan A.
1: And she is really good at that, you guys. I would say there was no moment at the event where there was not a water placed down for me before I had to even think, oh, I'm thirsty. I would love a water. All the details were taken care of. So I think you found the right forte. Last kind of question for you of like, get to know you. You almost segued into this yourself, but one of my favorite questions to ask people is what is your human design? Because I think it's really interesting to hear one, what everybody's human design is as entrepreneurs. And then two, if there's any way that you've seen that play into how you show up as an entrepreneur, I would love to hear your thoughts. So I'm a
0: projector, which I always thought was the like worst human design for being an (laughs) entrepreneur. I like felt broken for like a year and a half as a projector. And then I started meeting all of these other entrepreneurial projectors and I was like, wait, I can do this. Um, for me, I think that's why not having social media and not having a website, which those things will come, we're just a little bit procrastinating those, we don't <laughs> want the floodgates to come in too fast, is that it allows people to come to me. So when they feel in alignment from me, from meeting me at another a person's event, hearing me on a podcast... However they find me, they feel drawn to me. And that's the invitation that a projector needs. You have to invite me in, then I am your wealth of knowledge. I'm your fountain of expertise. But if you don't invite me and I project myself onto you, it is hot mass express. So that's why I think this kind of style really, really works well for me as an entrepreneur. It also helps me too, when it comes to the planning process, is that I can kind of see how things are going to turn out, but I also allow my clients to go on their journey, right? Like an event is a wedding. It's a big day of your life. It's something you've probably been dreaming of for a few years. And so I can't take away your dreams being like, actually, you don't want that. I have to let you go through those stages of grief if that's not actually what you want. And I can just help bring us back to what's actually going to serve your audience and yourself the best.
1: Hmm. You guys, correct me if I'm wrong, your your thing of being a projector is like you can see the future. You can see yes. basically how things are going to play out for people, yes. which is perfect for event planning. Yes. And then also, you guys, I've learned this. I've heard This keeps coming up with projectors that I meet in entrepreneurship. You need more rest than the average entrepreneur, which I think in the online space can be maybe like you. you almost said, I felt a little broken as an entrepreneur, but it's Because generators and manifesting generators were often at the forefront of the visibility and being like, I just work, work, work all day. And then I think for people who aren't those human designs, it can feel like, oh, but I don't want to do that. Am I wrong? Yeah. Did that come up for you at all on your journey? So much. Still sometimes comes up
0: because I also have <laughs> an open um, sacral. So I pick up energy from being around other people mm. and I live alone and live a very introverted life, which does not so well go together. That was horrible English. But so I <laughs> have just learned how to redefine those things in me to ask for what I need, how to tune in. If it is online, am I in a mentorship program that helps give me energy once to twice a week. And also who said I had to work eight hours a day, right? Like I come from a dad who was an entrepreneur who grinded it out. He is the definition of a manifestor, not a manifestor, a generator. And he is like, go, 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 never stops. And so I grew up with that mentality that I had to work all of these hours. And now typically I work a four to five hour day and I take one day off a week. And I'm trying to release that guilt of like, this allows when I'm here, when I'm on my computer, when I'm on calls, I'm at a hundred percent. And when I'm not, I'm refueling myself and I have that permission to do that.
1: Mm, I love that. You guys, I swear this isn't a human design podcast. I just think it's the most interesting thing to talk about. And I love to hear how it shows up for other entrepreneurs. So thank you so much for sharing. And if you guys, you don't know your human design, go Google it, go figure it out. You just need to know your birth time and your birthplace and then come DM me and tell me what you are. (laughs) When I did found
0: my human design, I finally felt heard and seen for the first time in my life. Everything else... My like, all the other things, I'm like not even thinking of them. I was like, maybe, but human decide, I was like, How do you know me? Because it was a stranger who did it for me. She knew nothing except my place of birth, my time, and my name. And I was like, Have you been living like behind me my whole life? So it, it's it's honestly life-changing information.
1: I could not agree more. Definitely the most validating personality test. whatever you want to categorize it as. I would say it's similar to one of those like personality working style tests definitely the most validating. But let's get into the good stuff. Let's tell everybody how they can start planning their first event. Before we dive into the details, I think a great place to start is what is the role of the event planner, right? So if somebody is getting ready to plan their first event or they're like, hey, I think I have this idea. It might be cool to build a retreat or you know, a a big event in a hotel or whatever it is. Do you recommend that for event number one, You hire an event planner and this isn't just me teeing Dakota up to say, yes, hire me. (laughs) What is the role of the event planner when it comes to this?
0: I think of it as there's never a right or wrong answer to anything, right? You know you better than anyone else will. So if you're someone who has to fall flat on your face or has to climb that mountain by yourself, you know that you have to go off and do that solo journey. I see the event planner as the guide, right? I think we talk about this in marketing all of the time. Like your client is the hero. You are the guide. I like to think of like Harry Potter because I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. So like I'm Dumbledore, right? You're Harry Potter. I'm Dumbledore. We're going to go kill the dark Lord together. We're not going to do that. (laughs) We're going to go help the world. But like what that means is like, I'm here to help you along the journey. There's so many times that your ego is going to get in the way. There's so many times that you're not going to feel worthy of it. There's so many times that you're going to feel overwhelmed by our conversation with the hotel or someone like that, or you're not sure how to market it in a new way or what color your flower should be. I'm here to make all these really big daunting tasks feel easy and fun and light. And so that's really what a a good event planner should do. And I don't mean to say that there are good and bad event planners, but I think there's people who are gifted in their fields and there's people who are just in their fields. Um, And so having someone who is really there to come in kind of as that best friend role, who's just going to hold that space and gently guide you each step of the way makes it feel like a fun, engaging playful environment where you can be super creative instead of this daunting how to negotiate something. All this money is going out. I don't know if anyone's going to show up. Am I even worthy or ready to have planned this event?
1: Totally. I'll share from just having planned my first one with you now. And just if I had tried to do it on my own, the little details would have absolutely overwhelmed me and i would have had very little frame of reference for how much should things cost am i overspending here or am i underspending here does this budget seem reasonable is this budget crazy and i consider myself very blessed that i had the experience of working with you at our last company where I got to see you plan events because I knew so clearly going into this one, I could not do it without an event planner because I got to see you do things like make flower choices and realize I don't and know anything about flowers and tablescapes and what to put together. And even if I thought I did, it was when I saw you starting to make decisions and be like, what do you think, this or that? And I would sit there like, I genuinely don't know what the right answer is. That was a good indication to me that, okay, there's details here that you're not ready to plan. And same thing around negotiating with hotels, hearing you on the phone, having to have these really tough and curt conversations around rates and what we could do and what we couldn't do, things like that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is not in my wheelhouse. I've never had to negotiate with a hotel before. I wouldn't even know where to start or what I could ask for. And so seeing all of that I knew before I even brought this event to life of like, okay, we're going to hire somebody and we're going to hire Dakota because, you know, she does it well. So I think that's a great intro to why an event planner can be so helpful. But also, like you said, you got to go that journey on your own. Some people maybe need to figure out for themselves whether they do or don't need an event planner. But I would say from the client perspective of who just hired an event planner, I was so grateful for you. At every moment of that event, because I didn't have to worry about, were the details where they needed to be, I could just stay present with the clients. Yeah. So a question that I think comes up for a lot of people is, if I want to plan my first event... Do I need to have this huge audience first to be able to sell it out? And I'm curious from your perspective, having worked with multiple entrepreneurs who I'm sure have multiple audience sizes, all varying degrees, is there a stage of the journey that you would recommend somebody who wants to plan events, waits to hit? Is there like a benchmark of an audience size or an engagement level to start planning their first event and be pretty confident that they can sell the spots?
0: I think the main thing is just, is your audience buying from you? I think that a lot of people think that they have to have hundreds of thousands of people following them. But at the end of the day, the average event that people are really hosting is an intimate thing that's between 10 to 20 people. I think that's a bread and butter and a really good place to start. So what size of course are you selling? What size of program are you selling? Do you have a membership that people are in? How engaged is your audience in handing you over money? If you're not selling out your thing, I might say it could be time to wait. Now, you're the judge of that. If this is something that's on your heart and you're ready to jump in, then we'll build a budget around that that makes that make sense. And what I mean by that is your event space could potentially hold 15 people, but let's make sure we're selling tickets that if only 10 people come, we're not losing money, that those additional five people would be profitable. So it's less about... Is your audience big enough? Is it engaged? Is it hungry to get in a room with you? And can we build an event that, even if we leave half the spots empty, we're not losing money. Maybe we're not making money off the event, but let's try not to lose the money on our first event is always kind of my primary goal with my clients. And there's times, like I said too, some people just need to go and shoot for the stars and it doesn't work out. And those are lessons. And I always say good podcast episodes in there. (laughs) My biggest thing that I would say is Maybe don't start with a 500 plus person event. Mm. There's one client that I have who did that and she pretty much sold it out. I think she got to 450 seats out of 500 seats for her first ever event, but she had a really big audience that she had been nurturing for five plus years and hardly sold to them. And they were dying to get in the room with her. There's people, and I think this is a good self-reflection moment of Do you have boundaries between you and your audience, as in you put a wall between them? Even if you have a digital relationship with them, do they feel in your life? Or do they feel separate from your life? And that's a whole other question. I'm like, I am not the marketing expert. I'm not the social media girly. But if people feel like they're a part of your day, they want to come on the money walk with you. They want to have the smoothie in the morning with you. They want to come be part of the meditation or whatever your rituals are that you show. So having those little bits of vulnerability with your audience is going to want them in the room with you even more. So I think it's just seeing how many DMs do you get personally or how many times are people trying to connect with you in person versus staying digital with you?
1: Yeah, such a good point. And it brings it back to, like all things marketing, you guys. You're never going to regret building those relationships with your people that follow you and love you and letting them see, like you're saying, like my money walks in the morning that I go on. It was so cool at the event to see the ladies who attended. They went on their own money walks and they tagged me and they let me know and they we talked about it when we were there. But Those little things that you do day-to-day, sharing those with your audience so they can feel like they know you, that absolutely is going to help sell not only just events, but anything else that you go to do. So I'm glad that you highlighted that piece of it for us for a second here. You said so much goodness in that last response that I could go in a million different directions. But first, I want to hone in and ask you... For somebody who's never planned an event before, and maybe they've never been to an entrepreneurial event before either, do you look at it as there's different categories of events or retreats or the larger like 500-person things? Are there different categories that these things fall into that we can highlight and explain to people what their options are when they go into this? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, great question.
0: And it's kind of infinite to a degree. Mm -hmm. I am like such a daydreamer and such a visionary that I'm like, I don't really want to put people into boxes and like make them, like I felt like I spent half of my life in a box and like the other half of it just breaking down those walls. But I do think that there are some clear categories and then we can play with those, right? Like think of it as Play-Doh. We can move it around and make it make the shape that we want. So one is your one day events. Those are typically from about 9 to 10 a.m. to about 6 p.m. And those are like intensive. There's normally one topic that you're focusing in on Typically, I see people doing 50 plus people. And when I say plus, like you really don't have to cut it off, but I would say 50 to 200 people is a rough range in there. And you're focusing in on one topic, like I was saying. So balancing your hormones, how to plan an event, how to get noticed on social media, right? Just something juicy like that, that people are like, wait a second, I need that. I want that. Typically, depending on your audience size, I would say you could price that between and I always want to say with this, this is what I've seen, you know your audience and what sells to them better. But I see those ticket prices anywhere from $99 a person up to about two grand per seat. The next category is what I say is a little bit deeper than that one day. It's a two-day intensive. So sometimes you can piggyback onto that a dinner beforehand, a cocktail reception beforehand. So you technically can call it three days, but it's two days plus a meet and greet beforehand. And that's when we're going nitty gritty.
1: Which is what we just
0: did. Yes. That's when you can call that a mastermind. That's when you can call that a summit. You can call that... I hate the word seminar because I think of like airport hotels and like men in suits, which is totally good for men to wear suits. But like, that's not what we're doing here. Um, (laughs) They look great. We just don't need them at our events right now. And those can go from that two-day all the way up to the four-day part. But that's when I think of it almost a little bit more structured. So that's where we are going to potentially bring in guest speakers. We're going to have them working on each other's businesses together. We're focusing on a little bit more of a broader theme in there. So it's more of like how to show up fully in your business, how to actually plan an event from soup to nuts. If I was training people on being event planners, right? It's not just like get a hotel and make a timeline. It's like how to negotiate, how to read contracts, right? Those type of things is what we would be going through. Or it could be spiritual based, right? You know, how to release limiting beliefs, how to create your 10 out of 10 life, you're giving people enough time to go through a full journey, not just to get actual inf- tangible information on one topic. And those ones, that price point just varies so drastically that I feel like I'm not going to even say a number. I feel like yeah. you shouldn't go below 2500 um, unless you like magically are doing it in your backyard and you have no expenses. You have a flower farm, you have your own garden and like you own the property, right? But (laughs) who knows? You could be in Kentucky and prices could be way less expensive there too. And that's always a big range on events is pricing just varies so much depending on where you are in the season and all of these other things. And then we kind of start to get into our bigger events. And those ones are what I call like my seminars, my summits. And those words can become interchangeable, but they're like 500 plus person events. And that's where you're more, you're not so much taking people on full journey. You're bringing people together to go I always say like hoorah on a topic, right? (laughs) So like women in business, like how to become your own boss babe. Like, and I'm not saying those things with a sarcastic tonality to them. I'm just saying it's this overarching thing of we're gonna bring in speakers, we're gonna get you pumped and excited, and then we're gonna sell you into something. And we don't mean that in a mean or manipulative way, but with that big of a group, we can't really go deep with you. So we're probably going to sell you into another container where that gives us the space and the time to go deep with you. So it's bringing women into the room to create a community, and then we're selling them onward. And then I feel like retreats kind of fall into that two to four day one. It's just kind of a different structure of how we build that out. One has a little bit more space and air- airiness to the timeline, I would say, as one timeline's a little bit more dense one you need a vacation from, one you feel like you took a vacation.
1: (laughs) Well, that was actually the one that I was going to ask you about if you weren't going to mention it, but I am curious. This is also for just my own brain as well, but I see a lot of people who want to start with a retreat style event. Like that's what they know they want to plan. Maybe they want to do it in a tropical location. Are you opening yourself up to more financial risk potentially with that style of event where maybe it's a destination that you're going to and you're trying to create this luxury out of the norm experience?
0: I think it just depends on what your definition of luxury is. Mm. And if you have an event planner, I'm like beating around the bush. It's if you have an event planner, (laughs) right? So like full transparency with Emily, like I was her event planner, I was also her chef. I was also her florist. I was also her designer. And so when you have somebody who can do all of those things, I mean, her tablescape probably would have been a minimum of $500. And I got it for her for like less than a hundred if we had been ordering them out. Even just little floral things I had there around the house would have gone anywhere from like a hundred to $300, just depending on, what the florist is charging in the area you're in. So if you have someone who can really do everything for you, that really cuts down the budget. Mm. When it comes to retreats, the risk really is, can you sell the tickets? And then on top of that, can you expect your client to pay to get there? But I want to put a caveat on that because like, flying to Scotland is less expensive for me than flying from the East Coast to the West Coast for an event. So it's just kind of doing that back-end research of what time of the year are you going there? What time of the year are you bringing your client to that location? And then where is your audience flying from? So it might be more expensive if you have a West Coast audience and you're bringing them to Scotland because they have to go 12 hours instead of six hours to get there. But there's a lot of caveats that you can look in things like, if you can get your audience to go to Bali, it's so inexpensive there that you could have three people show up and not lose that's money. That's a good point. And so that's just kind of the caveat on everything is who is your audience and how have you primed them, right? My audience, if they're coming for Dakota, we're travelers. We're nomadic. We love to lay on the beach. My audience wants to go to a destination with me. In comparison, my event audience wants to be in Scottsdale, Arizona, and they want to be at an all-inclusive hotel. And like, that's just those two different buckets of how I behave in those environments. So what are you showing your audience?
1: That's such a good point. So it really, like everything, just comes back down to your people. What does your audience want to do, and what do they trust you for? Plan what you would want,
0: right? Mm. Because I think your audience is coming for you. So I love a nice hotel, but I feel so out of place in a Ritz. Like when my client picks the Ritz to have a event, I'm like, oh, I got to rent a nice car, and like I need a new outfit to show up. So like valet takes me seriously. I'm uncomfortable there. I can work through that, but that's honesty, right? My client's going to feel uncomfortable there. So I'm going to put them up at a different hotel, the autograph collection, right? It's normally one step below the Ritz, but they're kind of funky and you can rent a guitar, right? That's my audience. So what room do you feel comfortable in and a little bit expanded, but not out of your comfort zone is where your audience is going to want to come to.
1: That is such a good point. And we ran into that so much when we were picking the venue. For me, we looked at a lot of Airbnbs when we realized we wanted to be in an Airbnb and not in a hotel, which let's put a pin in that because I would love to talk about the pros and cons of both of those as well. But when we were looking at the Airbnbs, we looked at a lot of them that were really high California luxury and just to see if that was what I wanted. But as we were going through them, I was like, I think I would be uncomfortable in these. Like, I think this is a level of fanciness that I don't even like being in. Like you're saying, like being uncomfortable at the Ritz, that type of feeling. And so we ended up picking one, which was exactly the level that you just described where It was beautiful. I loved it, and it was even slightly elevated, so it felt expansive, but it didn't feel like, and I told this to the women who showed up too, didn't feel like you can't touch anything in the house, which is what I wanted to avoid. I wanted it to be a comfortable place for us to have these life-changing discussions that oftentimes you gotta be cozy for, you gotta feel safe for. So I think that is a beautiful piece of insight as well. But let's circle back to what we just put a pin on. For somebody who's planning their first event, because we had this discussion back and forth a couple times, pros and cons of being in, say, even if it's a smaller group, a conference room, for example, at a hotel versus being in something like an Airbnb?
0: There's so many pros and cons on both sides. But I think I'm backtracking one more time to what we just said is don't put your first event up against someone's 15th event. Um, And I I even see that, right? Like I'm over here thinking Mm. about planning my first event and I've planned all of these other people's events. So I'm like, I got to be 20 years in business for my first event. No, it's my first event. It's your first event. Like... Don't try to have the fanciest place. Don't try to mirror what your coach is doing. Do what feels in alignment to you and have it be your first, just like your first social media post was your first, just like your first webinar was your first. Everything gets to be its first, its first time around. And don't skip that because it's such a beautiful step. (laughs) Back to the more important question of Airbnb versus hotel is there's so, like I could literally geek out over like numbers and like, Spreadsheets over here, but to make it soup to nuts is the biggest thing is that a hotel is going to primarily make it if you have a good negotiator on your team that you're not paying for walls. And that's always something that I like to say is like, don't pay for walls, pay for experiences. So, with a hotel, typically, depending on your size, between getting your hotel rooms and then getting a food and beverage minimum, which is the minimum amount of money you have to spend on your coffee, your water, your tea, and your food. You can get the event space, the walls that you're hosting the event in for free. And so, why would we pay money for walls when we could be feeding our audience for that same dollar amount Mm. so that we could be giving them coffee? So, that's like the big pro that's gonna happen in a hotel that's not gonna happen in an Airbnb. You are paying for walls in an Airbnb. On the flip side of that, in an Airbnb, I'm calling them women because that's the audience that we're in. Men are great too. And we can work with them if that's (laughs) your preferred audience. Like I'm not here shutting them out. Um, I just love talking about women is that they are going to create this bond that is not going to leave them. As long as they show up and they play full out, they are eating, they are sleeping, they are showering <laughs> together. And so they're not leaving. There's no place to hide. You are there. You are having conversations in the morning. You're getting up and you're working out together. And so it creates them to have this experience on top of the experience that you're having with them. And I always push my host to not stay with them. I'm like, I don't really care if there's a free bed. Like, get out of there. Let them create the magic. And let's refill your tank because you just held the space for those women all day. Like, we need to pour back into you.
1: I'm going to jump in here. That is a pro level tip, you guys. <laughs> there was a moment where I was like, I'm going to stay at the, the venue with them. I want to. And Dakota was like, Emily, I know you on a personal level. This is not a good idea. Like, you are somebody who needs to recharge at the end of the night. And she's like, don't lie to me. I've traveled with you. So I know it's true. Like, you need to go home and be able to shut down. And I'm so glad that we ended up taking that advice because no matter how much I loved being in that room with the women, my adrenaline was up, like I was on, you know? I was there to almost like performance level of adrenaline in my body. And so if we hadn't gotten out of there, I don't think I would have made it through the couple days that we were there. So such a good, important energy-saving tip for you guys.
0: And even those extroverts, I've met them, I know them, I've worked with them, they get drained from it too, Mm -hmm. is that you are not only teaching You're holding space. These women are having an emotional breakthrough. These women are having life-changing things happen. You're teaching. You're keeping the energy high in the room. You're doing so much more than just talking about your niche. You are facilitating, I call it, a sacred orb of energy. And you're creating those energetic walls around that that whole time. And so you need a safe place to fall and like recoup after that. Back to the less sexy conversation about hotels yes. <laughs> is that your hotels, there's places for people to hide. Most people are going back to their own hotel room. And so when the event ends, people tune out. And that creates a lot easier over time for your introverts to not have those breakthrough Dinners or conversations or moments. And I'm that girl who has gone to so yeah. many retreats, and everyone likes to call me the extroverted introvert. And I'm like, no, I'm just the introverted introvert. But like, I'll just sit in my room and I'll eat like stale crackers. And I was like, well, that was cool. Like, just saw my whole life change. And now I'm sitting alone in a hotel room again. Like, You didn't want to ask anyone to dinner? Nope. Okay, cool. Let's go to bed. And so like there's a sadness that can happen that you're not even aware of um, when you're hosting those type of events. Yeah. I would say if you're going hardcore business, do it in a hotel. Yes. If you're doing emotional breakthroughs,
1: deep connections, and business – do it at a retreat center, do it at an Airbnb. I love that you just made that distinction because that's exactly what I was just about to share around why we decided to go with an Airbnb. And one was I wanted that intimacy for people because I am also the person who probably isn't going to ask someone after an event at a hotel to see if they want to go get dinner afterwards and if they want to debrief. And if I see a big group going, a lot of times I'm like, ah, you're tired, Emily. Just you know, go back and, and soak it all in. Go back and sit by yourself. And then I go back and I'm sad that I'm not out at the dinner with everybody else. So I agree. The intimacy of it almost forces you to have those conversations that you might've shied away from. If you are introverts, like we're saying we both are, and you're not the person to ask somebody to go out and continue the conversation afterwards. So number one, I knew that we wanted that at our space. Number two, I wanted the ability to make the tickets all inclusive, which meant if we did it at an Airbnb, your stay could have been baked in versus at the hotel, you have the option. Where they don't have to stay at that hotel. So, you don't want to include the price of the hotel room and the ticket necessarily. I'm sure maybe there's a way where you could, if you really wanted to. This is where I am not the expert on this, but if you don't want people to have to stay at the hotel, you wouldn't include that ticket. So, I wanted it to be all inclusive. And then also, like we were saying, I really wanted it to be this safe, contained environment because one of the promises of the retreat that we just hosted was we're going to have these big breakthroughs, right? We're going to find your limiting beliefs and we're going to break through them. And I know that that takes a level of comfort, safety, and intimacy. And so that's how we ended up at the Airbnb over the hotel, but we did go back and forth for quite some time before we really settled there. So this leads me into our next question, which is a good one. Another insider pro tip for you guys. One of the biggest pieces of advice I got from all over when we were planning this first event was spend the money where it matters and don't spend it where it doesn't matter because there's going to be a lot of shiny object things that you're going to want to spend on, but make sure that where you're putting your money is actually making a difference in the experience. So I would love to hear from you, your expert insider tips where is it important to put that money, especially on the first event? And where do you often see people put money where it really maybe isn't the most impactful thing?
0: So I think the first place that I see people, and this is such a double-edged sword, is the photography videography. Mm -hmm. And that I very seldomly will let an event pass by without my client investing in photography and videography, while at the same time, you don't need to do the whole event. And so I think people get really caught up in of like, well, they have to see every single moment that I teach and they have to see every single time a tear falls down the cheek and they have to see every single guest speaker. And it's like, (laughs) Emily and I were on a very budget conscious um, budget for this. yeah. And so I was like, Emily, let's lock them in for four hours. Let's get them so that there's a time that you're teaching There's a time that we can pull the women up because we've learned, what's a pro tip, that women with microphones in their hands will post that the most often out of any other photo that they possibly have. So always get your audience to have microphones in hands, even if it's fake photos. Those will get shared more than anything else in the world. And then let's give them an hour of in-between time, fun time, and then let's do an hour of dinner celebrating. There can be outfit changes in there. So it can look like multiple days. We can get testimonials. There's so much juiciness that we can get in there. And I think you all know better than I from looking over your footage, but it's like you can make a whole event out of those three, four hours of footage that we grabbed in comparison Almost if you got the whole event, well, this is so much. What do I do with this? Like, how do we then break this down? And often I've seen a lot of photographers and videographers take 20 minutes of footage and then sit there for the next 40 minutes because they don't need everything because they're professionals. So hire in high, high quality videographers and photographers who know what they're shooting, know how to get the angles, know how to get the lighting, and then don't hire in getting the whole event done on your first event because you really don't need all of that footage.
1: Oh my gosh. We absolutely would not have needed it. No. And like when
0: people show me, I'm like, that's cool. Like there, are, yep, I see three clear days. But you know what else tells you that there's three clear days? The sales page. Like I just need a sixty second reel that gets me feeling good and cozy and yummy inside, and being like, I want to be in that room. Not like, I'm sorry, I only saw two guest speakers, not three. This is a fraudulent <laughs> hand of that. Like nobody's doing that. You know. I think the next thing and I always will laugh when I say this, is food. Um, So I am the queen of like, my number one, I call it my obnoxious catchphrase is I'm like, I fuel your bodies so that the speaker can fuel your brain. Mm -hmm. If your body's hungry, you can't learn. And so I am like adamant about fulfilling every single dietary need that there is because there's nothing worse, especially as someone with dietary needs, Of showing up and someone being like, here's a plate of lettuce, aren't you stuffed? And I'm like, nope, I'm not. I work just like you. I just choose not to eat some of the things you eat. And so what I then mean by that is like, we can make really good food that really fuels their bodies, without having top-line private chefs in there every single day, without having these glitzing, glammy experiences or really expensive catered food in. We can still have really good fueling food, but at a much better price point. So think more about what is the quality of the food that's being put on those plates than what is the cost of the food that's being put on those plates. And most people don't need to have like Chef Boyardee in the kitchen like flipping shrimp around to have it be a full experience. Now, you can do that, but you're going to spend a lot of money on that when most people are just going to hear the sounds when they're trying to be in the other room learning. So having things that are pre-prepared is just as good as long as it tastes good to them. And then always invest then And that celebration dinner, because that's one of the last memories we're leaving them with. So we want to leave them with a really, really sweet taste in their mouth.
1: Yes. And we were, I'm very proud of how our food turned out. This is something that for some reason, you guys, this stressed me out more than anything else in the planning because it does, it stinks when it's you go so to an event strict. and you're like, I can't eat. And you're like, I didn't like this. So I, I'm really not full and I'm still hungry. But now there's, I have to wait till the next meal and hope that that's good. So I was very stressed about making sure that it was dang near perfect for everybody. But we were very scrappy and cost efficient with how we did it. And I'm really proud of how it turned out. And we did a combination of quite a few different things. Some stuff, we literally cooked ourselves. It really, really helps that Dakota is experienced in the kitchen because I certainly am not. But if you have somebody on your team or a friend, full disclosure, I also had my assistant Izzy and my good friend Angela came and helped for us for the week as well. And both good and were able to work in the kitchen. So some of the stuff we made ourselves, some of the stuff we did catering from nearby restaurants, and we got the catering discounts that you get when you buy in larger quantities like that. And then like Dakota said, on the very final day when we had the cameras in and when it was the final moment of the event that we were doing together, because fun thing that you learn in marketing school, people remember the peak of an event and they remember the end of the event. It's called the peak end theory. And so at the end, when you want it to stick in people's memories, when we're at, as we called it, the celebration dinner, that's where we had a private chef in. That's where we had somebody serving and waiting on the table for us. But the rest of the event, most of it was either very affordable catering or we actually made it ourselves. So it was a great experience. It was. A, I loved how the, it all turned out. We played it all really nicely, even when we were making it ourselves. But we did it on a budget. We did it really good. So I'm really proud of how that turned out.
0: I think another thing, um, just one last thing on spending money is AV. And when I say AV, it's audio visual, um, which is your microphones, your speakers, your music, all of those things. It can easily be the biggest price tag that you see. And it can be a really scary price tag. An example of that is that I got a quote in for $80,000 for AV for a 500-person event. Luckily, I was able to negotiate that down to, I think, $37,000, which is another reason of why having an expert negotiator um, on your team is really important. But still, $37,000 is an insane amount of money to pay for people to be able to hear and see you. And so... What I have to say to that is think about the size of your event. So first off, I say 15 and under, you can get away with a good JBL speaker um, and you can play music off of that. And most people have the vocal capacity to carry for that amount of time. 15 and over is when we want to look into AV. Now, a caveat we'll put into that is in Arizona, it's much drier than California, which is where Emily is from. And It's a lot drier on our vocal cords, and it can feel exhausting if you haven't practiced speaking without amplification for three days on your vocals. So then that's the place to get scrappy again. And I wouldn't say renting in a speaker and a microphone for $1,500 a day. I would say... Get a karaoke machine that doesn't look like a karaoke machine, and that will amplify you just fine, and it will be something that you can continue to have if you're planning to do events that size for the future. Um, That's always something is that if you have the ability to invest in your AV, invest in your AV, because it will pay itself off, honestly, in the first event, and then from there on out, you're just saving money. That then comes with the asterisks next to it is that with hotels, most of the time in the contract, they will say you can't bring in outside AV. So you have to have someone who understands negotiation and contracts to create those loopholes in the contract for them as well.
1: I hope you guys are seeing a theme that it helps to have somebody on the inside who knows these types of things because I certainly wouldn't. If a hotel was like, you can't do that, I'd be like, oh, okay. I would never even think to negotiate it, so. No is
0: nev- never a word with a hotel. It's never, <laughs> a, no, it's a how can we? Um, And how can we work together mm-hmm. on this for the best outcome? They really back off when you start talking to them in a different language instead of being passive or saying that their words are a law. If you go through, I once did a speech on um contract negotiation, and I was like, you will be mind boggled by how many loopholes there are in hotel contracts. Like they are the most loophole filled contracts in the world.
1: I would be mind boggled. I certainly would and wouldn't think (laughs) on my own to push back on any of it. So thank goodness for you. Thank goodness for event planners. Okay, Dakota, best advice that you have for somebody who is getting ready for their first event or they're listening to this and they're like, okay, I really want to do it, but I'm really nervous. How do we ground them back in? What's your best advice for somebody who thinks they want to do this or maybe they've already announced it and now they're like, oh shoot, I got to plan it. What's the best advice? So I think the
0: first thing is, is if you're really nervous, that means you're moving in the right direction. Mm. Nothing big in our life, nothing needle moving, life changing, nothing that hasn't taken us to the next level. None of us didn't have an oh shit moment before that, right? (laughs) Like every single day, I feel like I have an oh shit moment. So you're on track, you're going in the right direction. But I think to that is if you haven't announced it, if you're the type of person who seeing other people in action helps you, I would recommend going to a similar like event to what you want to have, because you're going to learn little things that they do and take as much knowledge as you can get from it, but look at it through a lens of what are they doing? How are they talking? How are they pausing? How long are breaks? Why are we breaking? And really be micro on every little detail that they're doing. What activity? How did they run that activity? How did I feel in that activity? That is, if you're going with a non-event planner lens, if you're going with an event planner, ideally, they can take you through that. If you have announced it, And you're feeling, oh shit, great, awesome, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And if you haven't done things like webinars, live courses, things like that, step into those. Because the biggest thing that I need as an event planner from my host is I need you to be able to ad lib. Because sometimes I'm gonna say I need five more minutes before lunch and I need you to get up there and come up with five more minutes. And if we have 30 seconds, I can help you in those 30 seconds to come up with that five minutes, but I need you to not just let people hang. Um, Some of the worst events, and that's a strong wording, but some of the events that I've seen fall flat is that the host just let dead time be dead time. And I was like, no, no, no. You needed, I told you to move that up. Like I told you to move that hour before lunch after lunch to before lunch, because our lunch got delayed in traffic. Like We can't just let people sit here for an hour. So being able to ablive and think on your feet, and that just comes through practice. That comes through being on live webinars, podcasts, teaching in Zoom rooms, whatever it is, but being able to fill space with good information is I think one of the main keys to it and just wing it because if it's in you, it's for you. And so your heart is so lit on fire by it. That's why you pulled the trigger. That's why you started this. You know, you know what you're meant to say. You know what's inside of you. Stop suppressing your deep knowing and just let that beautifulness come out of you.
1: All of that is really good advice, and I felt all of that to be really true, having this event be so fresh. Number one, I want to say that piece of going to other events and paying attention as a participant into, okay, how is this being run? I absolutely did that, and it was so helpful, even with an event planner too, just for me to be behind the scenes of what's going on. There's a reason, you guys, if you listen to my earlier episodes or most recent episodes, I went to an event In addition, I also really wanted to go to the event, but I went to it as an active participant just two weeks before I hosted mine so I could pay attention and say, okay, How did they open this up? What kind of things were they talking about in the intro? When we did group work, how many people did they put us together? And how did they get us into groups? Did they say just form groups or did they count us off? How were these things happening? Those tiny little logistics that you don't need until you're in the moment and you don't know you need until you're in the moment, I went and I was like, okay, what are those things? Like, what do I need to pay attention to? And thankfully, Dakota is also super helpful in helping me brainstorm those things. So it's not like I was just relying on that. I then took those to Dakota and we were like, okay, what makes the most sense? so I absolutely did that and also the being able to ad lib like you're saying being able to just fill the time with space crucial like how many times did I look at you Dakota and you were like I can't get lunch ready before this time so fill it (laughs) and I had to go and and Fill the space with something valuable. And so, something that we did beforehand too was brainstorm okay, if we find ourselves with extra time, what are some other activities that we can fill this space with? If we do have a moment where it's like, oh, shoot, the catering's not going to be here for an extra hour, we don't have to figure it out on the spot. We can go into our bank of activities that we already thought of ahead of time. So, I highly recommend that you guys do that as well. And then, lastly, I just want to affirm all of these. Those were all really good, but just the piece of just trust yourself. That was a big theme for me in running this one of, okay, you actually can't shrink away from this, Emily, because it's not like you're closing down the webinar at the end of it and you get to go and debrief by yourself. You're on. You're with these women. So your only option is to be really present and show up really big for them. And so my commitment through all of it was, hey, I'm just going to be here. Even if I flub up, even if I say the wrong thing, even if I stumble through my words, I'm just going to take it in stride and I'm going to be really present and know that this is going to unfold exactly how it's supposed to. So that was all beautiful. I'm affirming all of it because it was so good. And I'm going to add one other thing, one other piece of advice that you gave me throughout this whole process to leave people with that I thought was beautiful and so helpful was the reminder that people are coming for you. And so you don't have to over plan. You don't have to try to do things you've never done before. People are coming because they want to spend more time with you in a closer proximity that they get to, than they get to online. And I found that very calming and very reassuring when I was like, should we do this? Like, should we go hire like trapeze and let people go swing on that and make do something cool? Like (laughs) you're like, Emily, what's on brand? Like stay grounded in you. So Thank you for helping me pull off a phenomenal first event and then for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with all of my audience and all of my people who are going to hopefully plan their own in the future. I
0: feel like something too that's really important to add to that is I don't want to say like let your hair down and be real with your audience, but like, let's be honest, like just be the weirdo you are. Because if you have a hiccup in your event, right? Emily messed up a tiny bit reading a bio, but that's who she is. That's her personality to a T. And that shows up when you know her in real life, when you know her in the podcast, when you know her on social media. So when she did that, everyone felt like they were in on it. They were like, oh my God, I'm in on an Emily moment. And everyone giggled and it was so good and memorable in comparison to If you're highly edited on your social media, if you're highly edited in everything that you do and you're perfect, right? Like nothing's ever out of place in your reality, you might have a really hard time planning an event because we're human. Um, My mentor always says people be people in, like we're going to mess up. So like it's going to be really hard to be perfect in front of people without editing and without filters. For four days, so get used to. If you are someone who's really edited, letting you out also like, that's gotta feel so relieving Mm -hmm. to like not have to be this edited version of you. Like you are enough exactly as you are. That's why you were made here on earth. So like, be you, be real, be a weirdo. I'm the queen weirdo over here. So like, be that, and then your audience is gonna feel part of that. When you hiccup, when you mess, when you say words wrong or can't say your R's or whatever it is, like your audience feels included into that in reality instead of like, oh, that's weird. Like she never says her R's. Wrong on podcasts, but she can't say an R to save her life in real life, right? So, like, that's my thing, right? Tiny speech impediment, but it's like, it's my—I take it on. I'm like, right on. I'm over here saying like "ca" all the time, right? I'm from Boston. It works, but like, (laughs) that's me. My audience would feel part of that. Make sure you're allowing your audience to see the real you.
1: Yes, and I'll just share when I did mess up that bio, and I kind of giggled and was like, "Oh man," and started over. My thought afterwards was, thank God that they just saw that human moment. I'm so glad that they got to see that piece of it too, because we all mess up, you guys. It's inevitable, but just take it in stride. I think that's why I ended up being okay was because I, like you said, I just kind of giggled about it. And then was like, okay, let me just start this over. Here's what you need to know. And we moved on. Okay. So much goodness in this podcast. I'm so Sad to wrap it up. I'm like, there's so much more I could ask you. But Dakota, for everybody who's planning their first event, where can they find you? How can they connect with you? Oh,
0: what a great question. Wish I had more places that they could find me. Honestly, shoot me over an email at info at Or you can find my personal page, which is Dakota L. Wallace and just see wherever I am jet streaming around the world
1: and maybe at an event near you. Amazing. We will link that down in the show notes. And you guys, just to reiterate, this is an amazing thing of when you build a business that is fully off of word of mouth marketing to be like, oh, now I have to get my marketing in order. So it's a testament to how good Dakota is at what she does. Dakota, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure having you on. And I'm so glad that everybody got to learn from you.